this week on Dig Me Out, 80s Metal. With your hosts, Jason Ziak, Tim Minichi, and Chip Midnight. Hello and welcome to the second episode of Dig Me Out, 80s Metal. Join us at Patreon to become a member of the Metal Union at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. All right, gents, we, we explain what this is all about. We're not going to get into the whole thing about what this all is and, and what we're all doing here. You can go to episode one to, to, to figure that out. So as the noob here, lay upon the listener what album I will be subjected to and what you guys are what your familiarity is with it uh we're going to talk about yingve malmstein's trilogy i put this one in the poll our patrons picked it so if you want to pick the albums we we do go to dmounion.com i picked this one it's this it's the earliest yingve on streaming so there's a couple of records before this but this is the one that everybody can listen to and uh, i discovered it i discovered him i think around odyssey which would have been like 88. And then I went back and bought this and marching out. So those were the three Yngwie albums I had until probably the mid nineties. What you chip? Yeah. And as you guys know, I'm a little bit older than you. So um, peak high school time, no, not peak high school time. I was probably 14 when um, I watched Headbangers Ball religiously or taped it religiously and watched it the next day. And I saw the video for I'll See the Light Tonight, which is on the Marching Out album that came out in 1985. And having watched it again recently, as recently as like two hours ago, it is <laughs> one of the cheesiest videos ever made. However, when you're a 14 year old kid and this guy whose name, just by, you know, when MTV used to pop up the videos and you see the name of the artist down in the left hand corner. Yeah. And yeah. there was no, like i mean i'm sure they had a vj introduction to it but but not hearing that you see this guy with this crazy name and he's playing these guitar licks that you're just like who is this guy <laughs> uh so i went right out and bought marching out the cassette i bought a uh you know the the, the other funny thing too is like how do you pronounce a guy's name right yeah like, i yeah. called him yingwi for the longest time until i actually heard someone call him ingve and i'm like that's not what it says it says yingwi <laughs> but i don't see it i bought it yeah, but I bought an Ingve Malmsteen poster. Um, I mean, I was all in early on uh, in, in 85 with the Marching Out cassette. And then I went back and bought the Rising Force, the first cassette. Yeah. And and then obviously I bought Trilogy the day it came out. I got to tell you, I, I so I love Marching Out. That album um, kind of scared me a little bit. Like that prelude intro when I was a kid, like kind of freaked me out. It's like kind of dark uh vocals are a little bit more angry sounding but uh so i and i actually never had seen the video um so i had a whole other picture in my mind what the singer looked like the stage setup all all made sense to me i kind of love the video even now i'm like this is so fun it's like yeah are there any bands having this much fun anymore like they're just like it's just over the top and kind of goofy and campy but also just like i don't know just creative and there were no limits like we can do whatever we want let's have a giant stage with a dragon and yeah like, so for not? the listener for the listeners i would i would highly suggest looking up i'll see the light tonight video uh as jay mentioned there's like this giant mechanical dragon there's this like 
not hobbit like this warlock looking guy with long hair and a white beard it's just a it's just crazy flaming it, guitars almost like a, yeah yeah almost like the flaming guitar like it's like a dungeon and dragons meets like a disney world ride or something like it's super yeah. insane but but that video i you know you guys watched it that was the first time I saw what Cinderella would later do, where they do the guitar flip like around their body, and and he does it a couple oh, times yeah. in that video. Yep. Again, something that in 1985 was I don't want to call it revolutionary, but I'm like I've never seen a guitar player do that before. He's how did it not fly off his body? An interesting thing about that video, and I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit, is the marching out album singer was Jeff Scott Soto, and Jeff Scott Soto has been on a hundred records he's still singing today he's currently on tour with jason beeler from saigon kick they do a kind of a co co singing kind of deal jeff scott soto sang on the marching out album and he was on the rising force album he left the band right after the marching out album i think before it came out and so ingve and his management were looking for someone to, to take his place and uh mark bowles enters the scene I, I was just watching an interview with Mark Bowles that he did with um, Waste Some Time with Jason Green, who does a YouTube kind of podcast series. And Mark Bowles said that he basically was working at, he, not basically, he was working at Taco Bell. He had moved to California from Youngstown, Ohio, working at Taco Bell, wanted to be in a band, made a demo tape. Somehow it ended up with Ingve's people. They were like, come on down for an audition. And basically they said, you're the singer. Let's go. And by the way, we've got a video that we need to shoot like tomorrow. So um, learn the words and you're going to be in the video, but it's not going to be you singing. So this the, the the voice you hear in that video is not the person you see singing it. That is it's weird. Crazy. Yeah. Wait a minute, who, who's in the video then? That So that's Mark Bowles, a very young Mark Bowles. Like if you watch other videos, he, you know, he grows his hair out and he, oh, okay. Okay. he looks a lot yeah. different, but that is Mark Bowles. Who's on the trilogy record. So confusing. But that, I mean, uh, uh you want to get into the history of Yngwie a little bit because yeah, he's always absolutely. changing singers. Yeah, part so, of part of the story. History of the so Yngwie was born in Sweden, uh, discovered by and again this is going to be all educational material for Tim, but I'm sure Jay knows Mike Barney, who had a basically a guitar player label called Shrapnel Records in the 80s. He put out cassettes maybe vinyl, but I definitely knew he put out cassettes because I had a bunch of them from just, um, he just basically went out and found guitar players, metal guitar players. And a lot of the stuff he put out was instrumental stuff, but he he was handed a, a, a demo cassette from Yngwie, um, really liked the music. I, I don't know if he was responsible for flying Yngwie over to the US, but Yngwie shows up in the United States in 1982-ish. Mike introduces him, I think, to, I think it was a Mike, Mike was introduction to Ron Keel, who would later go on to form the band Keel. Um, Ron had a band called Steeler, and Ingve played on the Steeler record. I have the cassette somewhere. I don't have it handy, but uh, I actually have no idea what it sounds like. I don't know that I've ever listened to it, or at least not in the last 30, 30 years. He's in he's in Steeler for one, one basically in 1982. 1983, he hooks up with Graham Bonnet, who had been in Rainbow. Uh he is he is the voice behind Rainbow's biggest hits since you've been gone, if you know that song. Mm, right, right. Graham starts his band called Alcatraz. Ingve joins, plays on one record, and on a live record, he I I don't know if I don't know if Steeler made videos. Ingve's first video appearance was in a video called Islands in the Sun by Alcatraz. He was, I think, 19, 20, 21, a kid. Right. 
Mm -hmm. uh, apparently what happened is the two uh Ingve and Graham Bonnet got into a fight maybe on stage and Ingve was fired in the middle of a tour uh they called up this this guy who'd been playing with Frank Zappa named uh Steve Vai and they're like hey Steve Vai uh we're on tour right now if we give you the songs can you can you come out um tomorrow and hop on the tour and start playing so Steve Vai took Ingve Malmsteen's place in Alcatraz that was 83 or 80, 80, 83. Yeah. 84 Ingve records his first solo record called rising force 85. He records uh, marching out and that brings us to 86 when trilogy. So that was in a nutshell, Ingve's kind of where he, where he came from and how he got to the trilogy album. And he uses different names. Like some records are listed as Ingve Malmsteen and rising force or Ingve Malmsteen's rising force. Some are Ying Yngwie J. Malmsteen. It's, it's confusing. Himself like, from the other yeah. Malmsteen's, right? Right. <laughs> like the first four or five records, you're like, what is the identity of this band? I don't. Is is there a band so, called Rising Force or is there a J or not the, a J? So Malmsteen is his mother's maiden name. So that's actually like not. It's not his born last name. He changed. Uh, he he uses his mother's maiden last name. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's not his name at all. And, I looked it up. Yeah. Is it his first? Yeah. His first name is Lars. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. His real name is Lars Ulrich, but he changed. No, <laughs> <just kidding. laughs> Lars J. Ulrich. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. He's, um, yeah, that, that, that gets us the trilogy. So trilogy, <clears throat> uh, I, I think before we start talking, I mean, Tim, how about when, when did, uh, Ingbe into your world, if ever before two weeks ago? The only time he entered my life was for <laughs> this, the Power Ballad book. Um, I wrote about, Two songs from, I marked them, from the 1994 album, The Seventh Sign. There are two power ballads on that album, Prisoner of Your Love and Forever One. And those were based on suggestions. Like, I didn't go through all of Yingve's catalog. Those were ones that people said on, like, message boards or Reddit threads. Oh, these are power ballads. So those are the literally the only two songs I've listened to by Yingve Malmsteen. Are the two power ballads? I knew who he was. I knew he was a shredder, uh, and he had like a classical influence. Um, this is the first time I've ever sat down and listened to an album and um, digested an, an entire slab of Yingwei at, at once. Yingwei, excuse me. Um, we'll get to the actual review of those songs later. <laughs> this is fun, uh, but yeah, I had never listened to a, a note of. Of Yingve. Now, I have listened to virtuoso guitarists. I mentioned that I liked Eric Johnson. I think in the last episode, I don't yep. think I don't. In comparison, I don't think they're like similar guitar players. Like they have a different style. Yeah. Um, he's. I don't consider him to be a neoclassical style guitarist. He has more of like a blues jazz sound in his playing, whereas. Yingve, I did watch a video where Yingve plays the hardest arpeggio. He calls it the hell arpeggio. And it's just two minutes of him just like, what's crazy is he doesn't move his his pick hand. It yeah. just goes like this. Like it barely moves when he is sitting and playing. This hand yeah. is, is all over the place. But he is so efficient when I watched him play in that. It was just like an instructional video. So a couple things unique about him and his playing to just set context for what you're hearing. So he plays strats. Yeah, I saw like, that. Strat through a Marshall. 
like he's not using a bunch of crazy effects he's like a pure like strat through a through a loud marshal there's now a bunch of delay and compression and all kinds of shit um he uses scalp frets so the frets are not so imagine a guitar you've got you know the little metal pieces that are the frets mm-hmm. the wood between is normally flat his are not flat they're actually scooped down why like dramatically and he sets the action crazy high like really higher than you would ever think um so that's how he gets all the tone i mean i mean you've played anybody who's played a strat they tend to sound thin mm-hmm. that's how he's able to get the tone is because this high action and then the scalloping of the frets like he is just using his left hand to just muscle every note in the that's same wild. way if, like tv ray vaughn play yeah strat like just a heavy left hand i mean they're really just like squeezing everything out of that guitar more with their left hand than their right hand mm-hmm. like disturbed. and that's seemed- a big part of like what his tone is about and his playing styles about is like him just like strangling that strat that seems to go against the the conventional yes. wisdom which is yeah. where you'd want this the least amount of action and the mm-hmm. least amount of distance between the string and the fretboard because you're going to be moving so fast that's that's bizarre well, he, he's moving fast but he's setting it high because he wants the tone so it's like he's paying the price of like making it incredibly difficult his left hand must be it needs to be incredibly strong right. like he must be able to like crush things in that hand like a piece of coal and turn it into a diamond so i i know nothing about guitar playing at all yeah um uh, i do know though that he is um very he'll, he'll every interview he talks about like like Jimi hendrix was the first influence uh richie blackmore uh i don't know if i'm gonna say uli john roth i think mm-hmm. that's how you say his name early scorpion guitars like those those were the foundations from which he grew up on that he wanted to kind of emulate richie blackmore especially i think was his a big influence i i've, I've heard uh, that Mar- that marple's interview was talking about how richie blackmore was the biggest influence yeah. on him and um, so that's kind of where he, I don't know if that's where he the, developed his style, but that's where he at least drew influence from. Yep. Richie Blackmore played a strat isn't too. He, isn't he Probably really into Ferraris got... too? Yeah, oh, I guess yeah. that is deal. So uh, it's funny you talk about the power of his left hand. That's one thing that I, I, I forgot to mention. I don't know if you, in any of your research, if you were familiar with um, his sort of viral moment. And I, it might've been before viral moments happened, but uh, I, I don't know what year it happened, but he was on a plane. Uh, a commercial airline flight and um, this will probably come up throughout our conversation, but Ingbe is um, very Ingbe centered. Uh, <laughs> so he, he, he's, he flies first class and his band flies coach. And that's, that's, he, he, that's the way it goes. And on this particular flight, somehow his band ended up in first class too. And they all started drinking and they got a little bit rowdy and drunk and Ingbe passed out. And the story goes that maybe the stewardess or some woman on the flight came up and dumped some water on him and was like, you need to cool down because you guys are getting a little bit crazy kind of thing. And one of his bandmates was recording this on a maybe a cassette player or on a phone or I, I don't know. I don't know the recording instrument, but it's out there on YouTube. Ingbe starts, you know, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he's really mad that she has woken him up. And um, he says to her, uh, you have unleashed, you don't even understand, you have unleashed the fucking fury. You've unleashed the fucking fury. And he's saying that to the person who dumped water on him. And so that has become this like this viral, 
for many years after that, he was known more for Unleash the Fucking Fury than he was his guitar playing. To the point that many years later, he actually named an album Unleash the Fury as sort of a tongue-in-cheek, you know, his passion behind stuff. And that shows his passion. But the yeah. uh, you can find that on YouTube. And, and maybe I'll even uh, splice that into here so you can hear King Bay saying it. So. <laughs> to release the fucking fury! To release the fucking fury! Forget about it! I was sitting here, and all of a sudden, this bitch comes and just fucking pours some water over us. Yeah, it seems like after that incident, he uh, mellowed just a little bit. Like I've seen, I saw he did a really great Rick Beato interview about a month or two ago. And I mean, he's still Yingbe, but he's just a little more like manageable. Yes. FYI, he didn't say Unleash. According to Wikipedia, it's been misquoted. He said, you've released the fucking fury. Uh, but the audio, I guess, maybe isn't that great. So it sounds like. But he did name the album Unleash the Fury from 2005. Yeah. Uh, that's the Ferrari. The Ferrari thing we'll get into also uh, a little bit later. Um, he, he wrecked a Ferrari during oh. the trilogy album cycle. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, uh yeah so and so i got one more thing before we before we kick into this i i want to do a little trivia the tour that uh um trilogy came out i think uh october 86 uh fall mm-hmm. of 86 and as every band does you put an album out and you go out on tour and the tour actually ended up getting canceled um into 87 about the summer of 87 because of that ferrari accident uh mark bowles had gotten fed up with ingve and management and he has said that he was emotionally physically financially abused by Ingve and and management and and he actually quit during the tour as a lead singer and jeff scott soto came back but here's a trivia and i want to see if you guys can figure this out okay they Ingve toured as an opener f- with a couple of different bands and i'm going to tell you four bands and i want you to tell me which band was not one of the bands they toured with. okay okay your choices are deep purple iron maiden triumph or Quiet Riot. Iron Maiden. I'm going to say Deep Purple. You're talking about 86? Yeah. I'm going to say Deep Purple. Oh, man. I thought you guys would say Triumph, because that seems so weird to me. Uh, <laughs> Deep Deep Purple Deep Purple is correct. So most of the touring was with <laughs> Iron Maiden. Um, I, so oh, okay. I thought maybe him story, and Bruce would butt heads. So oh, my sure story, though, so when I, I bought Trilogy the day it came out at Camelot Music at, oh, nice. um, at, at Westgate Mall which you guys may know from in Fairview Park, Rocky River area mm. of Cleveland. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to the counter and I, re- I remember the guy saying, oh, are you going to see him? And I was 14 and I was like, no, nah, I don't know. I, you know I'm not going to drive. Right. And and the guy was like, oh, he's playing. He's opening for Triumph. And I, I don't think I knew who Triumph was at the time, but I definitely didn't think that Triumph was like a heavy metal band. Uh, I thought that was just a okay. really weird bill. And like to me on paper, that doesn't seem right at all. But um but but he they, they toured with Triumph for not a ton of time, but it, it wasn't a one-off date. It was they did some touring with Triumph and they played yeah. at Richfield Coliseum. I mean, he uh, he and Rainbow and have obviously Rainbow in the '80s have some AOR tendencies. So yeah, you can kind of see that. We did get some comments over Patreon when we put the poll up. I want to read through them real quick. Uh, Joe Rowland said he had all all three all he said he had all of the albums that were in the poll. Every single one of them. Nice. Uh, so that's pretty awesome. 
uh, Eric Norland or, or Eric Norlander said, while I'm happy to get around to hearing any of these albums discussed, I had to go with the two I enjoyed the most uh, on the list when I was in high school, Tesla and Yingbe, especially Tesla, which we covered on the first episode. So we got to both of his now, the both, both of his, uh, both nice, of his Eric. Um, Jeremy Ahmed said, I wish the Yingbe album was a different one, but my vote goes to this and Tesla. Uh, Darren Svetson said, this is awesome, which, yes, of course it was a, an awesome poll. Um, Whitney Bueller, he also went with um, Yingvei. He said, uh, my vote is going to Yingvei's trilogy compared to the other eight albums in this poll. It really stood out to me how different it was. I expected more guitar hero wanking. I've never listened to Malmsteen. But instead, I heard a collection of mostly tidy four-minute blasts of melodic pop. I really like the use of keyboards, and the singer's voice is a great mix of Dio and Helford. My favorite songs are Fired, You You Don't Remember, I'll Never Forget, and Queen in Love. Dig that dragon cover, too. Well, if you dig that dragon cover, check out the video that uh, yeah. Chip mentioned earlier. Because there's kind of a dragon snake that, that pops up. It's like it's like this. It's like moves around. and so It's so, so weird. Like, yeah, we, we didn't talk about the trilogy cover, which is a, a, an amazing thing in, in, in yeah. itself. It's it's a giant three-headed dragon. A Hydra. It's a painting. Hydra. And Ingve sort of like... like Pointing his guitar up, like um, like kind of fighting this Hydra from like a um, he's not quite on his knees, but he's like he's not standing straight up, right? He's sort of kind of crouched down a little bit or got his legs out a little yeah. bit, and he's kind of pointing the guitar up, and it's like this this painting looking thing. It's um, is he shooting fire at the dragon? Or yes, is he, is, or is, is he protecting himself? Fire and he protecting himself? Yeah, that's a good question. We need to ask him that. Who shot first? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So Jay, you mentioned about you know this being fun. Is this like are they dead serious, or do they know that this is campy? Because Yingbei doesn't seem like a guy who does camp, is what I'm saying. Like he seems like he's all in on everything. This this is the only album cover he's ever done like this, right? All okay. the other album covers are him. So he's about him himself, right? And I don't think he cares about like lyrics or like imagery other than like the imagery should be himself so does the singer write the lyrics for whoever the band whatever the album is i don't i i actually i had like i said i bought the cassette in 86 i don't have the cassette anymore and i didn't actually look at i I haven't looked at the album cover or i haven't looked at the credits but um going back to the interview that that mark bowles did with, with jason green um he did say that like on the album, it basically says Ingve produced it and wrote everything. And Mark Ball says, you know, to set the record straight, he did not produce it and he did not write everything. Uh, Mark Ball said, I wrote some of the lyrics. He said, Ingve would come into practice space and say, hey, I want to do a song called Magic Mirror. Come up with something and, and I'll be back tomorrow. And so Mark <laughs> would write bass, you know, so so Mark wrote some lyrics, but didn't may not have gotten the credit on the album. Like I said, I haven't seen the album credit, so I don't know if Mark got there, any credit, but Mark said... It, it looks like it's all Yingbei credits. Yeah, and Mark, 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 you know, Mark sort of laughs and says, you know, thirty years later, I can say all this stuff because it doesn't matter anymore. But um, he said it was definitely not all Yingbei. I just imagine him driving up in his red Ferrari Testarossa, <laughs> rolling down the window and going, "I want to write a song called Magic Mirror," and then drives away. And, and the rest of the band has to like figure it out. Nobody sees him for a day, and nobody sees it for a day. And the next day he comes in, he goes, "Yes, this will do." Yes. Now I will shred. And he just lays down the shredding guitar solo and leaves. Well, and that's not too far what Mark said. Also, Mark said that um, a lot of it was the band recording stuff. And that, again, you guys you guys understand this, and I don't as a, mm-hmm. you guys as musicians. 
Mark said something. They they he, he said uh, what was it like an eight track? He said something like they strung three. They they had twenty four channels or twenty four something out of stringing stuff channels, together, yeah. um, and that and that sixteen of them were for Ingve's guitars, and Ingve would come in and lay his guitar parts and then leave, and then those guys would work on the music, and then he'd come back in and do his guitar solo and leave, and that he was not very present. He was in to do his parts, and that he was not very present during the recording. His name is on the album cover. You think he'd want to be more involved? It's his band. Well, yeah. Again, well, we can talk about that a little bit more because. Um, yeah, this is wild. There's a lot usually, more to that. Usually, people who's got who's it's their name. They they're control freaks and they want to control every aspect of the process. That's why they have their name on it, like, and they're not part of Alcatraz or they're not part of another band. It it, it boggles my mind that he would just be like, "I'm gonna roll up after you guys get it all written, and I'll just I'll do my thing." Yeah, but I guess maybe he there's was a, more com- he's confident in his yeah yeah. There's a sense of entitlement there. Like I'll just show up and play, and it'll be a huge record. I will show up, and we will play, and make records, and make millions of dollars, and I will drive Ferraris (laughs) with Rolexes. Right. There's a picture of him, and he has like a whole bunch of Rolexes on the neck of his guitar, like eight of them. All right, here comes another chip story. So I saw him in 2017. Um, I was able to get a free ticket to the show at the Newport Music Hall in Columbus, and. as you guys are aware, I like to stand behind venues after shows and try to get autographs. And so I stood back there and there was a small handful of us and overhearing some of the other people that were standing back there who had paid for the VIP meet and greet, which is hundreds of dollars. Um, they said that that is what he, that like at the meet and greet, he spent a lot of time showing his watches and talking and they like, he was talking with these people about watches and apparently some of the people that were there to meet him had some expensive watches and his he, yeah watches are his you're right Tim watches and Ferraris are his are his thing everybody's got hobbies and he also as and he also be. did not sign he did not this is 2017 you know uh, maybe a half maybe a half full Newport Music Hall maybe not even a half full and um, after the show there's five of us outside and uh, he comes out with two big burly guys and just a beeline to the bus not even a high not even let me sign something real quick it was like nope. You guys didn't pay for the meet and greet. I'm going to the bus. It was a little, it was a little disappointing in 2017 that Ingvay Mom would not stop and sign a, an autograph. But you know, he's Ingvay Mom. Ingvay does not have he? time to sign autographs. But, but I, I, I don't know why I he's German. It. I know he's Sweden, Swedish. Isn't that what we want Ingvay Mom to be like, though? Yeah. Like, don't we want like, like do we want like him like Instagramming with pictures of his kids <laughs> and you know what I mean, like wearing no. pajamas and no, I want like, him to be I, laying on a couch with a white lion right. or a, you know that's white what tiger he, that's that's what he does yeah with an un, with an unbuttoned shirt at least if right. not all the way in a buttoned, puffy at least, like you know, pirate quarter. shirt yeah. yes yes <laughs> that's exactly who he is uh i respect yeah. that mm-hmm. well that's all our comments from from patreon so should we get talking about the record seems do like it, we do should it. do that what's the format here what do we do who starts do i start because i'm the new guy or do i go last you go last okay i go last uh, I'll go first. Go. All right. What works? Um, I think what I've always loved about him is, uh, and it's on this record uh, pretty pretty blatantly, uh, it, it's like, there's like this primal aspect to it, but it's also like complex. So it's like emotionally, like you get it, but then, you know, he's a neoclassical guitar player. So there's this complexity of like what's going on and like, these minor key choices and classical influence that's like having him 
pick these chord changes that are dark and ominous, but then mixing it with this AOR sensibility, of like wanting to be, be melodic and, you know, kind of write, you know, songs that can be on the radio. So I think there's just a really cool dynamic going on there um, in terms of just being able to like get it in your gut, but then also, you know, your brain can tune into what's going on, you know, for more of a complexity level. So that comes across in the compositions, I think on this record, like the way the songs are put together. Uh, they're interesting in that, you know, he's able to use a lot of different dynamics. They do this one trick pretty consistently where they go to halftime before the chorus. It does a really good job of like building anticipation. Uh, then they go to the chorus where you get, you know, the big high notes, you get some sweeping guitar, you know, some, some really kind of mind blowing, you know, buildups or sweeps across, you know, the vocal melody. It also makes, you know, if you look at a song like uh, Queen in Love, the, what I guess is the verse of that song is the same as the chorus and the verse doesn't really have a vocal. There's this pre-chorus part in there. that's like one of those halftime parts I mentioned. But to me, it's like, it sounds like, but when I broke it down, I was like, wait a minute, this song doesn't really have a verse. Like, what is going on here? Um, but by using the halftime part, they can kind of create this dynamic of a big chorus without even really having much of a verse. Uh, because it kind of pulls you down, breaks the song down, and then boom, opens up into this big, you know, dramatic chorus, uh, which I think is a pretty clever um, in terms of composition, a thing to do. Uh, obviously, the guitar stuff is amazing. Uh, it's technical, but it's also, he's an emotional player. Like there's some notes and things on here where, you know, he's just pulling on the strings and like squeezing out these sounds that are amazing, especially when you really, you know, listen to the tone. He's not using a lot of distortion to do this. Like this is a lot of like muscle to make this guitar sound this way um vocally i like this record a lot you know i think his record his catalog is a little spotty because he mixes up the singer um so you, i don't know i don't uh, it's a little hit and miss for me sometimes but i was actually uh i thought mark wall's voice on this is great it's a mix of like dio i think somebody said dio and rob helford which makes a ton of sense to me i hear a lot of dio in this which to me makes a ton of sense thematically for the lyrics for the imagery of this record for the tone of this record, you know, that type of singing, phrasing, melody, sense of melody is a perfect fit. I think he can carry the low stuff, which some of these singers, you know, that have, can hit the high notes can't always be interesting in the low notes. And Dio is one exception to that. And I think Mark Bowles is an exception to that on this record. You know, the lower stuff is still really strong. Um, there is a really, there's also some really interesting harmonies on this record queen and love is a good example the chorus of queen and love like they deliver the line and they go up a note and then they go up another note like he holds it and he's like eh, eh, and you're like what? and there's a harmony on top of that that is very unusual like it just if you, re- if you just focus in on that you're like that is strange but it it totally works
there's some pretty cool stuff going on here vocally that, you know, a Ying record tends to be about the guitars. And I think it's pretty interesting on this record. I think some of the vocals are really, uh, pretty, pretty stand out. Um, rhythmically, really dynamic, a lot of double bass stuff, switching the halftime. It's punchy, it's dynamic. And then you're always going to get some instrumentals. And I think this uh, record, at least, Crying is a good, is a solid example of like you get to hear him play acoustic with sort of this picking style. You know, he when he plays acoustic, he's not going to be strumming chords, right? He's going to be playing like layered parts, uh, one melody and then a picking part, uh, and a, you know, sort of a solo part. You get to hear that in Crying, which kind of builds to this big crescendo of a uh, electric solo that has a really well crafted, um, you know, mel- melodic hook in there that's on guitar. Yeah, it's dynamic. I mean, it's this exchange between a powerful guitar player and a powerful singer with, you know, a really, um, you know, solid base of um, dynamic drums that, for the most part, follow a pop sort of format for the songs. You know, they're not overly indulgent. There's some middle sections where they let him solo a little bit, but it's not crazy like off the rails. It's pretty straightforward from a composition standpoint. Chip, what worked for you? Uh, I agree. Like Mark Bowles is a great singer. I like Jeff Scott Soto. Um, I like all of most of everything he's done. Uh, I think Jeff Scott Soto even actually spent some time in Journey in the post Steve Perry years. Like he did a tour. Yeah, maybe mm-hmm. did a record with him. Um, he's a great singer. And on the album before this album, though, like you said, Jay, like I, I really like Mark's vocals. Uh, I'm so glad you talked about that Queen in Love part because as a non-musician, I didn't know what to call that. And I still don't like the only thing I can mm-hmm. think of was counter melody, but I don't think that's what it is. But he's you're right. He like he the Queen in Love part goes up and it, he does go up, but then it almost like it comes it flattens out like at, he hits mm-hmm. a high note, and then it kind of comes back down. I love like that's my favorite moment on the whole record is just that chorus to Queen in Love. Um, I think without any knowledge that the 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 previous album marching out i don't want to say it was a surprise hit but that video got played and got picked up and you know i think they came into this record and somebody said we need to get you on mtv now and i think the first song to kick off the album you don't remember i'll never forget is very radio friendly the most radio friendly mm-hmm. thing that he had done up to that point i mean that that had mtv and the video was very 1986 flashy and 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 big hair and that he's in his Ferrari right? and he's going after a woman kind of it was very 80s and very hit oriented.
Um, I think what I liked about it back then, which I sort of didn't think about until re listening to it now, is that the music was very, again, to, to, to what you said and what some of the comments were, it was almost like the new school of the stuff that was early 80s hard rock. So there was Dio. Um, I thought like Fire sort of almost sounded like a white snake song to start off with right or maybe deep purple mm -hmm. like it had mm -hmm. these these it was like a new approach to this sort of classic hard rock music and this was again before hair metal really took off and so like I, he was like the new kid on the block doing influenced by the bands 10 years before him there's a couple um dark ages there was a there was a really weird period and maybe we'll get to that sometime on this podcast a really weird period of black sabbath in the late 80s where they had like a different singer and they were like on independent small labels and they weren't the black sabbath that everybody knew and dark ages kind of sounded like one of those era black sabbath songs yeah uh what else do i have uh the other thing we didn't talk about too is um i, I forgot to mention this at the beginning is the band lineup right so Mark Bowles on vocals, Ingve on guitar, but Ingve also played bass and other instruments. The keyboard player and the drummer are brothers. On Anders Johansson is a drummer, and I think it's it's spelled J-E-N, but I think it's Jan Johansson is the keyboard player. A little interesting side note for longtime Dig Me Out listeners is Jan Johansson is married to a woman named Dominique. And Dominique is the person that I contacted to get an interview with Blind Melon for the first time. So <laughs> what? small, small little world. What? She was a Capitol Record. Yeah, she was a Capitol Record publicist in the. Jeff, you just the, blew our minds. Um, How did you get Blind Melon into this? I don't understand. Yeah, um, um, many years ago, we I think I don't use Facebook anymore, but we're Facebook friends, and I noticed her last name and did some looking around, and, and that's her husband. Amazing. But so, so that was a band, and so like he played the bass. But I think, I think the, some of the keyboard stuff at the beginning of Magic Mirrors, kind of, kind of cool keyboard playing. Um, yep. as a as a keyboard player and a drummer being brothers, I'm sure they're like in sync with each other. And so, you know, the band, the band. I don't. I actually don't know. What, I have no idea what they did live for a bass player, because um, I know they played the bass on the record. But I figured he must have played the bass because there's some like bends and things going on in the bass. And I'm like, man, I don't know that a bass player would be brave enough to do that on a Yngwie record. Like it's very synced up with the guitar right parts that made me think. I bet he's playing that. Yeah, but yeah. so so yeah, a lot of what you said, and then like I said, just kind of being the new, new school of classic rock at that point, new school of hard rock, and um, having the MTV hit, and and again the Queen of Love that chorus can't stop listening to that. <laughs> All right, Tim, Tim, what worked for you? Okay, yeah, so, so I need Tim, to wait. This is Tim. This is Tim's first Inge experience other than the ballads. Like, yes. you're coming yeah. in totally freshly, uh, totally fresh, virgin blood. And I want to say that when I was listening to I had this blasting at my desk one day and my wife came <laughs> in and I turned to look at her like I wanted to get her reaction. And I'm like, what do you think? She goes, well, it's better than your airport music, meaning Brian Eno. <laughs> that, that, there's the quote for the next album cover. Better than Brian Eno. Better than Brian Eno. Better than your airport music. <laughs> So, yeah, this was my first uh, real dive into anything Malmsteen. Um, the guitar playing obviously is the highlight. I mean, I've never heard anybody 
play like this before other than you know listening to him play i'm sure that there are other players that incorporate classical styles into their I, i'm you know there especially now i don't know that that was happening back in 1980 whatever this is 86 and he was doing it before this as well i don't know that i don't know what was going on back then i i gotta imagine it was pretty revolutionary to hear him especially because this is as somebody mentioned in the comments like these are pretty tight song like there's nothing crazy long except for the last track all these songs are like three to four minutes uh they're pretty traditionally structured except for like what you mentioned queen and love has sort of an, an odd structure where there's you, you don't have a clear idea of where like the verses in that song um mm. and you know there's songs in here that sound like fire sounded like it could have been in a montage of a of a <laughs> of a movie from the 80s like it had it's it's it just sounds like a song that you've heard. It's it's very catchy and very um, familiar sounding. And I think, you know, whoever was writing the songs had definitely had an ear towards radio. I feel like there's a lot of attempts to write like, like you don't remember, I'll never forget. It's like a clear radio single um, mm-hmm. with that hook and magic mirror and, and fire. And like I mentioned, like those to me seem like, okay, we're going to like he's going to do his thing where he's going to have the instrumental tracks and and show off and there's going to be some heavier stuff like liar but we're also going to have these radio friendly songs and they they work very well um they're catchy and i was remembering them after the first or second listen some of the hooks from some of these songs which i wasn't expecting because i figured all right well the this is really about the guitar playing and this and the vocals and the Melly's are going to be kind of secondary, but I think Mark Bowles does a pretty solid job of like holding his own because, you know, you're going up against a guy with a flamethrower and you've got a slingshot essentially in this <laughs> band. Uh, so good luck, Mark Bowles. And and for the most part, he does pretty well. Um, I do. I mean, I, I could listen to an album of just him playing crying style songs where it's just like acoustic picking that he does and then it sort of morphs into a more complex song with layers and and whatnot uh you know that's that's incredible playing i i don't even understand what he's doing i know there's these like sweep arpeggios but that's a terminology that i've never i've never understood like i don't understand what he's doing from and i play guitar and i've watched him i sat and watched him explain and and play it and i'm like i don't understand like i don't see what your hands doing but it's making a ton of notes <laughs> and yeah it's crazy uh so i think we talk about uh albums that whether they stand the test of time or whether or they sound like stamped like this sounds like an 80s album but not in a bad way like i don't listen to this and go oh this is so this is so dated like it does sound dated, but not in a way that makes me want to turn it off. Like it's it's never going to sound current, but I can hear his influence on a lot of guitar players today. Like there are a ton of guys on TikTok and Instagram who shred and do all this stuff. And I'm like, I know that's that's from the Yingve Malmsteen school of of playing like all these all these shredders that are playing like classical songs and like doing you know, Beethoven and, and Tchaikovsky on electric guitar on like seven string, you know, whatever guitars those are. Um, like that's this, it starts with this guy. Like, 
Was yeah. anybody really doing this style before him? I mean, Richie Blackmore a little bit, but they always had like a blues element to him. Right. Um, I, I think he the first to try to take this much neoclassical influence and put it into a pop format. Right. right? Yeah, I don't what think do people think? were doing exactly this, but again, that shrapnel label, um, there are a lot of artists, guitarists who were kind of finding their way, like Paul Gilbert, who's now in Mr. Big. He was in a band called Racer X. Like he had a solo record, I think, on on Shrapnel and Tony McAlpine and Vinnie Moore, and um, they just had a host of of shredder guitar players who I think most of them their first albums were instrumentals. I I don't know how much they sounded, but I, there was like this whole school of guitarists that came up in the, like the early eighties, um, all a little bit variations of each other. But yeah. and were they all sort of did they all have their own little spin, like different spins or takes on what they were doing? Because you know, yeah. like obviously, you can hear I mean, in different really guitar players, you know, like different influences. Uh, like I don't hear any. You know, we talk about like um, '60s guitar players, like Hendrix and Clapton, and and those kind of guys. I don't hear any of that, any of that like blues in him at all. Yeah. Like to me, this is this. I mean, I can hear uh, maybe like some Van Halen, like Eddie Van Halen, but just minimally, like yep. not not the way that we heard it when we listened to the Tesla album where I yeah. was like, Oh, that clearly is, is, is an Van Halen influence. So was any, uh, I guess, was there anything about his playing that was surprising to you? You know, it, just saying like, you know, he's a shredder when you're coming into the record, you know, you're going to hear a lot of notes. Was there anything that surprised you as about, you actually listened to him as a guitar player? Not specifically. Um, you know, there wasn't anything there where I, I, I obviously I don't know how he's doing anything because yeah, that's just beyond me. Um, and I've played guitar <laughs> since the nineties and I, yeah. I, I don't, it just, it just boggles my mind. Um, I don't think there was anything that really caught me off guard where I was like, what, what was that? Or like, it all made sense in that. I know what he's doing is like superhuman. So it didn't yeah. even like seem unusual because I was like, of course he just, did some insane dive bomb thing and or there's like a moment i think it's in um in magic mirror where they come i think it's after the second chorus and he comes in like so blazing like it's <laughs> i could imagine them being in the, if there was a music video for that where he would just like kick the singer out of the way and step on his body and like just shred on top of him because he comes in so loud and and it's like so much louder than the rest of the band <laughs> and it was just stuff like that where i was just like laughing like this is so over the top
it reminded me of like I was like I was listening like Dragon Force or something at times. Like it's so fast, so over the top, but it's only him. Like it's not the whole bander playing like 200 beats per minute. It's like him going just (laughs) ape shit on his fretboard, (laughs) and I'm just like I don't I don't get it. So then I was just really I I honestly really like the classical aspect of it because I've I've been listening to more classical music as I get older. Uh, my daughter's learning piano, so she's playing like classical pieces. My wife is a music teacher. So I'm constantly hearing classical music and sort of like trying to familiarize myself. And um, so hearing that like in the final song trilogy suite, op five, uh, which is the seven minute long instrumental, um, just I could pick out like, oh, that's 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 very cool. That's I know he's like influenced by Pagnini so that I could hear like some of the stuff that you know italian uh uh, classical opera style and it was really interesting to hear that more so than like this sort of straight up rock stuff It's like, yeah, there's a million bands that can write sort of a radio friendly, you know, song like Fire. But can you do something that sounds like it's from the 1700s and make it rock? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, that's that's the real interesting thing to me, especially, you know, what is this? 38 years later, it's like, I'm sure a lot of people have written about this record and and have opinions on it. And I got to imagine like guitar heads love this album like to me yeah i i admit you know like he's awesome but like i don't care how fast he can go i'm interested in like how much stuff he can cram in there that it's is not what i would have expected so that's that to me is like the fun part is when i hear things that like that that's wild that he stuck that in there like when we were what was it when we were listening to the ben fold five album for dig me out and he stuck in a little bit of of a um classical in like one measure of a song he's talking about like one measure of a classical piece like that's such a nerdy thing to do but i kind of love that that happens right whereas this is a whole album of (laughs) dalliances with classical music yeah Uh, so yeah that's a lot of the stuff that worked for me on this record what didn't work uh, going back uh for you guys on this record um you know some of the lyrics are are not gonna be great i think fire is a good example fire a lot of fire desire uh going on there I, I think big picture i'm fine with the lyrics that are like uh more about power a little bitterness darker themes like that stuff's all fine to me it's the you know i guess when he tries to do love <laughs> it's just like mm, not working it just doesn't match the music uh so it's kind of whiny like yeah. why is why are why you got to be whiny? You're a killer guitar player. Like <laughs> you don't remember? I'll never forget. What is that? Don't be a wimp. Um, 
I think also a song like Dark Ages uh, in the hands of Tony Iommi probably works really well, but he is not Tony Iommi. So to me, that song sounds a little thin, which then ends up just, it's kind of a plotting monotonous song. Like it just doesn't work because it doesn't have the beefy in commitment to the riff. You know, it's sort of weak on the riff and it needs to be Tony Iommi style. Like he needs to be like laying into those power chords and he's more about the leads. The vocals really loud in that song too, which is odd. Um, So, you know, there's some stuff here that just Fury is another example. It just sounds a little generic. Um, Nothing remarkable there. Trilogy, sweet. I prefer crying. I don't know that I need two instrumentals. I think one that's really well executed is is a better uh, decision. Trilogy sounds a little less um i don't know interesting like it's a little flat it's like sweeping guitar leads and the band's not doing a whole lot on that song uh whereas crying kind of builds from an acoustic and then it kind of evolves into this big epic kind of electric solo and the bat band's adding adding a lot to that song so you know i i think it's there's some moments of weakness both from a songwriting standpoint song choice standpoint and also lyrics anything that worked for you chip all right, guys. So here's the thing. You're going to want to stay away from the P.O. box for a while because I know this is a guitar shredder record for guitar fans. As I listened to it over and over, I kept thinking the first two and a half minutes, this is a great song. I love this song. It's so good. It should be on MTV. It reminds me of Deal. It reminds me of White Snake. And after the first listen, then it was like, oh, God, here it comes. <laughs> and I'm like, I, 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 I can't do that every song. Like, you got to... Yeah, yeah. I, and I know that's the kind of player he is, and I know how he's influenced, and I and I and I get that, that people like that stuff. I I appreciate a little diverse. I I like guitar players who make love to their guitar. I like guys who <laughs> have emotion with their guitar. I like guitars that gently weep, right? And I I just kept waiting over and over. I, I was not looking forward over and over to each song, knowing that that part was coming up, knowing that he was going to play as many notes as he could in the last two minutes of the song, and I'm like just take your foot off the brake just a little bit. Like it's just, it was too much for me. I, so I it, like, again, he, I mean, he's known for his guitar playing. It just, it was, it didn't feel like there was emotion in it. It was like, how many notes can I play? How fast can I play them? And so, yeah, that, that part didn't work for me, unfortunately. You know, his quote about less is more, right? <laughs> what? No. So no. he has a quote about like, people say less is more. No, it's not. More is more. Yeah. <laughs> It's well, one of his other it's one of his other memes is more is more. I've been in America maybe I don't know, a month, and my English was you know fluent English. I've always spoken English, even though that's not Sweden. They speak Swedish, so I don't I understand everything, grammar and all that stuff. But um, so I did his solo, and the producer goes, hey, "This was for another band, right?" The producer goes, "Yeah, that was really good, man. There's still one more." Let a uh, little few, few less notes and a uh, li- little slower. Remember, less is more. And I honestly looked at him like, uh, you mean more is more, right? <laughs> I didn't say it as a joke. I was just, I, I thought he misspoke. I mean, how can you see this fit like physics? You know, one is not more than two. Right. So that became a little joke. Um, Chip, I'm, I'm with you. Like, uh in fury i think that was what i meant to mention like mark bowles is, is holding this long note 
and you can almost hear like him wanting to push him out of the way and then just start <laughs> like there's so many notes that come in immediately after that vocal performance in the chorus and it's just like dude can you just chill for a second yeah i when, i want to just play, when when you play it like that like because he's playing so fast everything all, at least to my untrained ears it all kind of sounds the same like all guitar solos is hitting like it, there's not enough variation you know that everything's gonna be really as many notes as you can fast right and it's like there wasn't like a, a a distinct unique like whoa that is an innovative amazing guitar solo like it's like oh yeah that sounds like the last song when he played 700 notes in 30 seconds yeah yeah and and that's why i think crying works so well is because he has to slow down yeah. to finger pick i'm sure he's finger picking those that acoustic guitar classical guitar whatever he's playing um so he also has, has to deliver the hook in that song because there's no vocal right so like, he has to figure out like what's the melodic theme here that i can play on it often the solo which i think makes it him have to work a little harder than just hey band write a song called write a song about a magic mirror and then i'll just put a solo on it it makes me think about like the cars and weezer and those bands that like will play a guitar solo that's exactly the melody of the chorus yeah and about how like there's no way he would ever do that like <laughs> that would right. be painful for him right. to actually follow someone else's melody and 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 play off of that i just wanted i guess i wanted like some more playfulness where it <laughs> i don't need like who is it at the beginning of yankee rose where it's like like give me some of that but not that goofy but like you know just give me some playfulness this is so not playful it's so serious and it's so you know, many like, notes and it's like dude just woo because like i will good, listen a good, to a shredder but have some fun also like eddie like, again eddie van halen is a shredder but he knew how to like temper it with melody and arrangement and but of course he was involved with the songwriting from the ground floor like every song started with him and alex creating the song whereas if all you're doing is showing up and laying down a sweet guitar solo as apparently he gets paid by the note because he's putting so many into the songs. Uh, um, I also so, felt so, like so not, I was, I was going to say, so, so, so not, not, not a shredder, but somebody that is like Eddie Van Halen that I think um, can play fast when he needs to um, like Nuno Betancourt. Mm -hmm. Like there are some times when he can play guitar solo that, that is, like I said, it's not it's not 700 notes in a, in 30 seconds, but he can he can play fast sometimes. But he does have that emotion, the the playfulness, the fun, the kind of teasing back and forth with the singing kind of thing. And yeah, that, that's what's sort of missing. Yeah. What did you guys think of the keyboard sounds? Um, they felt like pretty corny. Yeah, they, it was like the wrong. Not that they don't need keyboards. It just felt like they went to the guitar store and. Oh, there's a keyboard over there. <laughs> it makes this noise. I guess we'll use that. Yeah. Like there's no John. Yeah, there's no John Lord here. Um, no. They're trying to, I think, use like more 80s style at times, like string sounds and stuff that, yeah, probably could be. I, I don't, it's weird though. There's something like charming about it. Like it Comforting. just feels, I don't know, I guess. It's just the nostalgia of it. It just feels like a specific time and place. 
even though like I would probably choose a different sound, it also yeah. like triggers this. Oh my God, this sounds so much like 86 metal. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Well, the yeah. beginning of you don't remember. I'll never forget. Almost has like a runaway sound from Bon Jovi. Yeah. It almost has that tone, yeah. um, which is not a band I would have associated with Yingve Malmsteen <laughs> in any way. Well, I think that's what they're trying to do though. I yeah. Think they're trying to like wrestle this neoclassical thing into a, you know radio rock right band but yeah like you said in terms of him having uh played with uh or being i guess influenced by richie blackmore um i would have liked to have heard maybe like some some organ rather than synths but i know that that wasn't kosher in in 86 by 86 you're supposed to be using synths and you know pads and and that kind of stuff I'm just glad that there was no like fretless bass, like <laughs> like that would have that might have put it over the the edge for me because I could have definitely heard that going. On. I also I'm not a huge fan of double kick. Um, I am I am in bands like that's their thing, but if you're a rock band and you just introduce that into like one or two songs, I always feel like it sounds out of place. Like you're uh, like if you can rock without having to go to that thing but they're definitely using it for uh it's a non-subtle use of it too like i think now like when you hear double kick it's more groove patterns Mm -hmm. or blast patterns whereas yeah you're gonna you're probably gonna hear this a lot tim on this podcast there's like this very like monotonous like use of double kick drum um that's just a dynamic trick of like okay this part's more intense we're gonna do like a double kick part and to me, that's as like kind of rote and uninteresting as as like listening to a hardcore beat when it's just like boom, yeah. boom, 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 Like, yeah, I get it. That's hard to do for three yeah. minutes or two and a half minutes because it's a lot of notes and your arms get tired. But nope. um, it's not as interesting to me when there's not much variation and you just get this blast of kick drum in your ear. I can hear that. I, yeah. You know, I know his is obviously. He left Alcatraz and basically didn't look back and said, from now on, it's Ingve Malmsen, right? Yeah. I'm not going to be somebody's side man. It would have been interesting to hear if he had been able to work and kind of match egos with a Ronnie James Dio or Rob Halford and have one of those guys say, listen, I don't need all the notes in the world, but I need Ingve's style and let's see what, what we can do together. Like, I, It'd be yeah. interesting to hear him pull off a Deep Purple record where he wasn't the star, but he was the co-star. Yeah. right or like a genuine collaborator like yeah i'm gonna play i'm gonna riff off of what somebody else is doing like he's yeah. never to my knowledge ever done that i haven't listened to it but more he did do more. an album i think it was called inspirations where he did some covers i know carry on wayward son was one of them and um i watched that video before we did this because that was yet another example so so mark bowles like i said walked out on the tour before it was over in 1986 and Ingve called him back up in 2000, I think, and was like, hey, putting putting this record together or tour or something, you want to come back? And um, they did this covers album and Jeff Scott Soto sang on the record and then Jeff Scott Soto left again. And so for a second time, the Carry On Wayward Son, the Kansas cover, Mark Bowles is singing Jeff Scott Soto's vocals. And so I start watching it and it sounds, I'm like, oh, here we go. Like, this is Kansas. This is just Ingve's take on it. And sh- like, sure enough two minutes into the song 
it's off the rails just <laughs> like you you can you can you can hear the bass and the drums and you're like i know this song and then again it's just like He's gonna Yingve. He's nobody's yeah. gonna force him into a box. He's gonna sweep right out of that with his arpeggios. <laughs> so Yingve has made. Uh, I just did a, a count on Wikipedia, so I don't know if this is a true number, but twenty-two records. Mm-hmm. Um, I stopped listening probably in nineteen ninety, so I don't know most of the other ones. I, I'm actually I've never listened to that inspiration. I'm trying to see if I can find it and see what was on it. Well, I happen to have listened to the one. Like I mentioned, and I would happily um, share this with you. Well, 1994's I... Forever uh, or The Seventh Sign. Oh, yeah. I think I listened. So so the album, I mean, so, okay. So the Mark Bowles walks off. Jeff Scott Soto finishes part of the tour. Uh, in June of 87, which probably would have still been tour cycle, Ingves in his Ferrari, gets in a wreck, is in a coma for a few days, has major, major injuries. Um, I don't think they go back out on that tour. He comes out of it, and the next album is called Odyssey, which came out in 88, which had Joe Lynn Turner from Rainbow and Deep Purple on vocals. And that has another, like that, I think that was his highest charting record and the biggest single. There's a song called Heaven Tonight. That's um, how and I that song found is, him. It's just like, you don't remember, I'll never forget. Like, it is tailor-made for Headbangers Ball. I mean, yeah. it is just as as radio-friendly as you're going to get out of Big Bang Malmsteen. That was the the song that got me into him, yeah. In first place, maybe we'll review that record at some point. Yeah, uh, I need to share this review of Forever One with you guys because this is some solid writing. I mean, I, some of these reviews are pretty crappy in here. I kind of just take a dump on the song and then move on, but this one's pretty solid. It says it's almost irrelevant to discuss anything involving Yingbei Malmsteen without first discussing the guitar, or more accurately. When insanely proficient and technically mind-blowing solo, Yingbei is going to lay down. Forever One is no exception. Here is how you can basically sum up every Yingwei solo. Yingbei, there are a lot of notes. More notes, in fact, that you could ever want or need in a lifetime of music. And yet there they all are, stuffed into a few minutes for you to wrap your puny, non-neoclassical, <laughs> shred-tastic understanding brain around. Yingbei does, fi- does find time to put down his trusty Fender Stratocaster and toss in some classical acoustic guitar runs that sound actually kind of cool. So it's not all bad. Yingbei recruited former Obsession and Loudness singer Michael Vissera to join him for a few albums in the mid-90s, and Vissera is a good match as he can belt it out about as well as Yingbei can work the fretboard, even doing some nice vocal guitar doubling in the choruses. However, it's that dramatic over-the-top style that ends up giving Forever One a technically precise but ultimate cold feeling, like watching robots have sex or something. <laughs> yes, agreed. Um, this might be a good time. I don't know if we're, if we're going to talk about the actual album, but um, 
kind of what so in the aftermath like i said he made odyssey with jolin turner he's made a ton of records since then tim ripper owens sang on a couple of the records um oh i didn't know that again, i didn't know that 22 yeah i mean he's had a, a million band members so most recently the last five six ten fifteen years i don't know when this actually started because i sort of stopped paying attention yeah. to him um and going back to the beginning what you're talking about ingbe now sings his own songs he's the lead singer and oh. He's got a keyboard player who will sing some songs, but the stage, um, I'll see if I can dig up. I know I took pictures at that show. Ingbe takes up three quarters of the stage. His keyboard player is literally almost, if he moved an inch to his right, he would be off stage. Like he's that far over. And oh it's, it's, it is the, you know, we talked about this very early on about Ingbe sharing stages with people. It is a hundred percent Ingbe's show. And he sings, he plays guitar, he does the solos, and basically the guys are just there to help fill out the noise. But they are not—they're really—they they almost look like it. Almost at times, they look like roadies who just happen to be pulled up on stage to play. Like they're—they're they're really not there for for any real um, to be in. Wow, I need um, to hear Mark him Bowles, try to sing some of these songs. Yeah, and so Mark, Mark again, that interview—that that interview was very informative. It was about an hour long, um, you know, and 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 he said like Ingve is not a singer. Yeah, flat out, and and he said even at one point, Ingbe came to Mark Bowles and was like, "How do you sing the way you do? Like, what can I do?" And and Mark Bowles was sort of like, "Well, it takes practice, and you got to find your voice, and you got to put the time into it." And then yeah. Ingbe was like, "Yeah, I play guitar," um, and but he <laughs> wants to control everything, and so yeah, I, you know, like I said, I saw him, I saw him in 2017, and what I remember most was the guitars were loud and fast, and so like the the vocals, there was a semblance of vocals there. I mean, I think. I don't know about YouTube. I can't, I tried my car to hit the high notes and I can't do it, but I think you could probably sing along and keep the melody, even if you're not a great singer. So Ingve can probably do those songs as he's heard them for 30 years. Um, but he's, he's certainly not hitting the Rob Halford notes or the Ron yeah. James Dio passion and, and stuff, but it's, it's Ingve. It's I can't Ingve. imagine those, some of these songs being compelling at all if they didn't have these vocal performances. Well, I, I don't remember the set list, but I, I'm guessing it's a, it's a lot more guitar solo stuff and instrumental stuff than it is. Yeah, I mean, he's got plays, a huge catalog. Yeah. He plays I'll See the Light Tonight, You Don't Remember, I'll Never Forget, Heaven Tonight, and probably like three or four other ones that have vocals. And then it's a lot, probably a lot of guitar playing. Yeah. Um, I do want to say, so I got one more little completely side note. I told you guys in a, in a, in the Discord. So I was watching the Browns wildcard game. And I don't know if I should name the person whose house I was at because I don't want to embarrass him. But um, but uh, I'll send you guys. He actually sent me a picture. So we were watching the Browns game and the Browns lost. And so we're like, let's console ourselves by throwing some records on. And so we were listening to Honeymoon Suite and uh, we listened to Bad Company. And then he pulls out Trilogy, the vinyl. And I'm like, oh, my God, like <laughs> I've never seen a vinyl copy. of it. And he said, I bought it. I was a guitar geek and he's a guitar player. Um, have, you, have you guys heard the? The, the term sleeve surprise sleeve surprise no yeah no so like like use kids in columbus they will buy a stack of records from people and you know as they're cleaning the records out they'll they'll pull something out and it might be like a love letter somebody wrote or it might be rolling papers uh, that people hid like the surprise yeah. in the record sleeve right so this friend of mine pulls the record out and as he does a um like a, a late 70s little porn calendar like a desk calendar falls out of the record and and he starts cracking up and he's like that's where it went that's where i hit it i hit it there in 1986 so my parents wouldn't find it so he hit a porn calendar in his uh record sleeve and i i will say the um that's the perfect. wives at the wives at this were all cracking up and 
um, just the comment. Oh, never mind. The comment was that uh, 80s grooming habits were different. Um, he actually <laughs> sent me a picture of you can't really see it, but there there is the calendar that he found. Oh my god! Yeah, nice. for people at home, it's uh, yeah. There's well, so yeah, for people at home, there's no pictures. It's just the cover of the calendar. It's just, just the to cover, clear, there's but no, there's no nudity on this podcast. But uh, but you could flip the calendar open. <laughs> well, that one seen... time Jay and I, it got weird. <laughs> it got weird. But yeah, sleep surprises. Those during I mean, the Sade episode. Yes, it's not always porn in, in sleep surprises. You can find rolling papers and, like I said, love letters that were either received or never sent and that kind of stuff. And it, those are kind of cool to see. But that was, he he was cracking up because, like I said, he was like. That's where it went. Oh my God. I totally forgot I put it in there 30 years ago. Well, just I'm glad it was his calendar. Yes. Yes. All right. (laughs) We should probably get to our where the album better be decent single. Let's do it. I'll go first. I'm gonna land an EP. I mean, this is not a long record. I think it's just barely 40 minutes, only nine tracks. You know, the the 80s were gonna get a lot of you know shorter or regular length records. I'm still in an EP though. Uh, I'm going to go with You Don't Remember, I'll Never Forget, Liar, Queen in Love, Crying, and Magic Mirror. I like the music of Fire. I like, actually, that's a really cool riff on that song too. I, I think he might be playing a slide. Um, But the lyrics are so, forget, like, just cliched that I can't, I can't pass. So I'm at five tracks. Um, I think it's a super solid EP. I would suspect a lot of his catalog is better EPs, but maybe we'll get to another record like Odyssey that's a little more commercial friendly. Maybe we'll get a little different different read from me, but right now I'm at a better EP. Where'd you land, Chip? Uh, exactly the same as you. Other than I, I, I did, um, I did like Fire, so I would swap out Crying with Fire. But I had the same. You don't remember? I'll never forget. Liar, Queen in Love, Magic Mirror, and Fire is my five. Um, I, I really, I struggled with the, this one because five out of nine is a majority, right? And so I'm like, maybe, yeah. maybe I could deal with the whole album, but really, if I go back and listen to this again, I'll, I'll probably skip some of the songs. So I, I'll go with EP. Um, um, yeah, I'm at a, like an EP as well. I like the opening track. You don't remember. I'll never forget. I like, um, crying fire magic mirror. So I'd probably go with those four songs. Here's there we go. I got I forgot to mention Mark Bowles, what he's up to. So Mark Bowles has put out, he sang on a bunch of records, like his Wikipedia page is as wide as I can stretch my arms. Um, he's, he kind of was a lead singer for, for a couple of different bands. He, he was in a band called Royal Hunt. Um, that mm-hmm. name sounds really familiar, but I don't know if I've ever heard him. Uh, yeah, that sound he familiar. also, he's also put out a number of records as a singer for a band called Ring of Fire. Um, but the interesting thing is that in 2014 he became the touring bass player for Dokken and he was brought in I think and, and he only did it for a year uh, but he was brought in I think and again I don't know if anybody would say this out loud but I, because Don Dokken can't hit those notes anymore and so they brought in a singing bass player to help help Don hit the notes that he can't hit and as we've heard on this album like Mark Bowles is a great singer yeah. Uh, so he wasn't he was in Dawkins. That seems like a really weird he, he was a bass player in Dawkins for 20 from uh November uh Feb, it was like it's just about a year from like the early 2014 to like early 2015 or something like that. Interesting. Yeah. Well, um thanks for bringing me some Yingbe. I didn't I didn't uh have any or I didn't have much exposure other than a couple tracks and some memes. 
<laughs> so this was an interesting listen. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe one or two of these songs might make it onto my playlist in my my car playlist where I just random songs come up. So I'd like to hear uh, my daughter's opinion of uh, fire or you don't remember. I'll never forget. See, see how she processes those songs. Ever sing along to Queen in Love? We can figure out what's going on in that chorus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I need to remind folks who have been listening that, uh, as mentioned, this came from a poll over at Patreon, and you can join the Metal Union at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And it's also where you can go to check out our 90s rock podcast, which covers 90s rock. We're 80s metal here. That's 90s rock. I say that like it's two different groups of people, but <laughs> those people over there. Uh, you can suggest an album for either podcast by going to digmeoutpodcast.com. And you can go to Substack to sign up for the newsletter and uh, stay uh, updated on both podcasts. We share articles from other Substacks. Lots of interesting writers are writing there. So make sure to sign up there. And lastly, Apple Podcasts is where you can go to uh, leave positive feedback. And I just saw that you can now start rating Spotify podcasts. They have a rating option when you're using the mobile version. Oh, okay. They didn't have that. I, I don't use Spotify. They didn't never had that before. I didn't yeah. I didn't see it before. Oh, I just okay. saw it just came like popped up. So yeah, I get, might be get your asses over there and rate us. Yeah. So uh what's the next one, Gent? Did we do we have that picked out? We, we do. Gonna... Bang Tango. Oh, Bang Tango. Psycho right. Cafe. I've I hold on. Let's see <laughs> if I ever listen to the Bang Tango. Yeah, I don't think they have a ballad, so I don't think you would have right. They don't have a ballad, do they, Chip? There's, I think there's a maybe on uh, Dancing on Coals, there might be a slowish song, but there's not a power ballad. Midnight so. Struck. Yeah. By Bang on... Tango from the album Dancing on Coals. Nice to... Yeah. That's on the next record. Oh, this is a bad review. <laughs> <laughs> it was only four lines. So I know it's not good when it's brief and curt. <laughs> so, but we got a good range here. They're definitely not Ingve or Tesla. So, yeah. All right. We'll be starting with a good, good range of bands. I'm looking so. forward to it. So for Jay and Chip, I'm Tim. And we'll be back next time with another episode of Dig Me Out 80s Metal. <laughs> <laughs>